I say to you that one of the finest things you can do to win people to Christ is just to spend time with the Lord. Mary was a soul winner. The circle of her home was blessed because of her. The circle of her friendship was blessed because of her. She won people to Christ because she spent time with the Lord Jesus. Today on the Song Time broadcast, as we continue our study looking at the story of Mary and Martha, the late great Dr. Warren Wiersbe breaks down Luke chapter 10 in such a way that gives us some insight what it truly means to seek first the kingdom of God and all of these other things will be properly taken care of. Stay tuned for that message, but first, we'll be joined once again by Melissa Zaldivar as we're talking about her unique take on the subject of grief in her book, What Cannot Be Lost. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. It's not very often that I pick up a book like we're discussing this week. We're joined once again by the author, Melissa Zaldivar. The title of her book is called What Cannot Be Lost, How Jesus Holds Us Together When Life is Falling Apart. But the reason I was drawn to this book is because it approaches a subject that is very heavy and and very difficult to understand and comprehend, the subject of loss, the subject of of discouragement, and and really facing grief and, and addressing it head on for the feelings that it actually is without trying to water it down or or correct it away. You know, say, you shouldn't feel this way, you should just move on. Just to sit with it in a way that I think is really meaningful. It's less a book about instruction and more uh, a journey with the author, Melissa Zaldivar. She talks about the loss of her friend, Jill. Uh, but Melissa, there's actually somebody else that plays a pretty central role in your book. As you tell the story, you interweave into this narrative another character. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Um, as far as Louisa goes, yeah. I'm guessing. <laughs> um, yeah, so I also tell the story in the book. of I, I affectionately refer to her as Lou. Um, Louisa May Alcott, who is one of the greatest writers of her generation, she made more money than Mark Twain. Like people don't realize how successful of a writer she was. She sold 50,000 copies of Little Men, which is the sequel to Little Women, before it even came out. And in today's publishing world, because that's my nine to five job, uh, we consider a book successful if it can sell like three, four thousand copies in the first 18 months. So it's like, oh, that was pretty good. Uh, so 50,000 before it even comes out. Right. And so she was this very successful author in the 1800s uh, around the time of the Civil War. Um, but she also wrote about grief and loss in the mm. story of Little Women. And people were not used to that. And she kind of pioneered a conversation that wasn't just fairy tales, but it was real life. And so. As I think through her life, there is all this success, certainly, but there's a whole lot of loss. Um, two of her sisters died way too young. One was in her 30s, one was in her 20s. Um, she walked through watching um, her family struggle with poverty and having to kind of lift them out of that with her writing. She had a whole lot of pressure in that way. Uh, she was lonely a lot of the time. She was despairing a lot of the time. Um, she was absolutely riddled with amazing success but absolutely devastating heartache and so i think that louisa's story is kind of all of us right every human story is pretty darn similar um something's broken and needs fixing and we're looking for something that will help that but i think that her story uniquely mirrored mine in that she lost someone too soon um and she was trying to live her life um 
in sort of recovery of that, but as as also like as in a way of honoring her sister. She was trying to honor her sister Beth. And so um writing about Lou has I feel that she's sort of become a friend, if that sounds a little that sounds a little weird, but you know, I still spend time in that house, in her room, dusting her room and giving tours in her room and being present in those spaces. And I think, especially in New England, you know, like being based here, I think that houses and special places have a memory. Just like when I stood, you know, next to the the Western Wall in Jerusalem or when I've been um, in these places that have history in them, you just there's something different about it going, whoa, this is really where it happened. These are the steps where Jesus walked. These are the places where this famous person was. And I think about Louisa and I think, wow, what a legacy of celebrating ordinary life um, and walking through grief, um, but also just being intensely honest. And I think that's one of the biggest things I get from her is you can't convince her to be fake. Uh, I read her journals and she talks about how like after she got famous, like she'd go to parties and people would, everyone would want to hang out with her. And she was just like, I don't want to hang out with any of these people. They're making me crazy. I'm not interested in this. Like she just would be like not impressed by anyone trying to flatter her. Mm -hmm. And so I think her honesty sort of forged a way for me to say, oh, you can talk about grief and you can talk about humor. Uh, and it's just part of the experience, whether you're in the 1800s or, you know, the 2000s. You mentioned this as well, that uh, there's one way in which her story isn't a reflection or something reality that a lot of us can face because uh, we aren't going to go straight from our pro- poverty to riches uh, with a quick fix like uh, publishing a great book. Uh, but this is a kind of a crucial component to where a lot of people are at. They're looking for an escape. They're looking for that overnight success. They want yeah. to, to escape their grief as opposed to really work through it in the process that is slow and painful and and not always um, having an immediate response or immediate outcome. Yeah, I mean, we don't know which one we are, right? We don't know if we're the person that has absolute tragedy strike and it seems absolutely um, devastating and pointless and frivolous. Like, we don't know if we're that person and that's what they'll say about us of like, oh, and then this thing happened and it was just awful. Um, We don't know if it's that. We don't know if we're the person where something hard happens and we make it to the other side. We just don't know. Uh, And I think that that involves there has to be a certain amount of humility around that to say, whoa, uh, I don't know how this is going to go at all. And and yes, we certainly know that there is victory on the other side. Right. In eternity. But at the same time, in on this side of eternity, we just we don't know. And so I think it's a constant sitting down with the Lord and saying, God, like, what do you have for me right now with what I have? Um, And not letting that scare us into being like, I don't know what's going to happen, but really saying, Lord, you have something for me. Help me to do it well. Help me to do it faithfully. Um, Because you're so right. Like, I almost didn't, and I write about it in the book, I almost didn't want to talk about her success with Little Women because I didn't want people to be like, and then she was rich, the end. Like, (laughs) no, she was rich, but then her sister got sick and died and horrible things happened. Like, we can't, we often think that the end of the story is when it gets uh, good, so to speak, or exciting or hopeful, Um, but that's not always the end of the story. And so sometimes sitting down and saying, wow, this is what it is, Um, looking for the gratitude in the midst of the hard thing, looking for the sense of hope, but also 
saying uh, to ourselves, like, good thing that we know the end, end, end goal here, um, because sometimes that helps us to focus in these moments when it just feels like darkness and really messed up stuff. Um, yeah, I, I think it's just a matter of saying the world is really messed up and broken. I don't know how it's going to go. And yet asking ourselves the question, will you let Jesus be enough if that's the way it goes? Like you think about marriage vows and sickness and health and, and, uh, plenty and want in all of those places. If we are the bride of Christ, do we look at our relationship with Jesus that way? Do I say to the Lord, Lord, whether this book is a success or not, we're in it, right? Whether I uh, live to be 90 or I live to be 35, like we're in it. Like, am I willing to have that sense of commitment that come hell or high water, we are in it together? Uh, I think is a really challenging thing, but I think it really would change the way that we live our lives in light of the death that we experience over and over and over again. We've been talking with Melissa Zaldivar. Her book is called What Cannot Be Lost, How Jesus Holds Us Together When Life is Falling Apart. You can find out more information about her book by giving us a call, 508-362-7070, or you can head over to our website at songtime.com. But moving forward today, we continue our study in Luke chapter 10 as we're Look at the story of Mary and Martha, these two different examples of of how to use their time where Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha was very busy and concerned with many things to be done. In the whole process, we can easily separate the two in our own minds and think, well, Martha's personality was different than Mary's personality, and that's where this conflict is all about. But the truth is, Jesus is demonstrating how Mary is representing for us how to prioritize our time, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to make that the thing that is most important, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. It's very easy for us to get caught up in the surrounding atmosphere and the things that we feel like we need to do that we leave out the most important thing. And that is where Martha fell short. And this message from the late great Dr. Warren Wiersbe, we continue our study looking at Luke chapter 10 and the, and the relationship between Mary, Martha, and Jesus. Now, friends, I can't conceive of a person serving Jesus Christ and being hard to live with. There's something wrong. There is no division in the Bible between duty and devotion. If my devotional life doesn't lead to duty, there's something wrong with my devotions. And if my duty does not help to strengthen my devotional life, there's something wrong with my duty. Spending time alone with the Lord prepares me for ministry. And ministering prepares me for spending time with the Lord. These two don't compete with each other. They work together. And my friend, if you say you're serving the Lord as a student, as a teacher, whatever you may be doing, and you're hard to get along with, something's wrong. The problem was not Mary. The problem was Martha. And when there walks into a fellowship somebody who has calmness and peace, he's not worried and frustrated and pulled apart. It shows up the spiritual sicknesses of other people. Mary's devotion showed Martha's lack of dedication. Martha's problem was her priorities were all fouled up. Now you can always tell 
You can always tell when your priorities are fouled up. Number one, you get critical. You find a Christian running around trying to serve God, and he's critical. There's something wrong. I'm not talking about honest criticism. There's always room for honest, helpful criticism, evaluation. I'm talking about Martha's kind of criticism. First she blames God. Lord, don't you care? Oh, when you start saying that, watch out. Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that I am left alone? Sounds like Elijah. I only am left. I'm not sure about me anymore. She accused the Lord Jesus of not caring. She accused Mary of not caring. Watch out when you look at some other Christian and say, I'm working harder than he is. I'm sacrificing more than he is. How do you know? She was the most important one. My work, my life. And Jesus said, Martha, you better learn from Mary. If you're really busy, spend time at my feet. That will give you the calm and the enrichment and the power that you need. Now, you know, Martha did learn her lesson. Here in Luke chapter 10, Martha was there and Mary was there. I assume Lazarus was there, although he's not mentioned. And Jesus was there. The disciples probably were not there. Here are four people, and Martha is having apoplexy, getting dinner ready for four people. When you turn to John chapter 12, you find Martha and Mary and Lazarus and Jesus and 12 disciples, 16 people. And Martha's serving, and there's not one word of complaint. Somewhere between Luke 10 and John 12, she learned a lesson. I think she learned it in John chapter 11, when Mary came out and got at Jesus' feet, and Martha said, you know, that's where I ought to be. Martha learned that the problem is not the job on the outside, the problem is the heart on the inside. And so Mary was a blessing to her own home. Now, if you want to be a blessing to your fellow family members, to your fellow students, to your fellow employees, the people who are closest to you, spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody at this point is saying, but pastor, you're being very mystical. Don't you believe in winning souls? Are you only going to talk about sitting at the feet of Jesus and being enriched and being blessed and being a blessing to other Christians? What about the lost? Well, if you turn to John chapter 11, you'll find out that Mary was a soul winner. Because when Jesus came and raised Lazarus from the dead, a wonderful thing happened. In John chapter 11, verse 45, Then many of the Jews who came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. It doesn't say Martha's friends got saved. It says Mary's friends got saved. The most important thing in evangelism is spending time with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say a word of warning to our students. Many of our freshmen are here today, and we thank God that you come to Moody Church and worship with us. At some point in your studies, the devil's going to say to you, Why are you sitting here reading theology? Chicago's full of unsaved people. Why are you spending time studying your Bible? There's a world that needs to be reached. And you'll slam your book shut and you'll go to the dean and say, I think God's called me to leave. We meet with this year after year. May I say to you that one of the finest things you can do to win people to Christ is just to spend time with the Lord. Mary was a soul winner. The circle of her home was blessed because of her. The circle of her friendship 
was blessed because of her. She won people to Christ because she spent time with the Lord Jesus. The circle gets wider, though, when you get to John chapter 12. That beautiful story of Mary breaking the bottle and anointing our Lord's feet. It says the house was filled with the fragrance of the ointment. Mark tells us something rather interesting about this story. In Mark chapter 14 and verse 9. You remember the disciples said, why this waste? This ointment could have been sold for a year's, a year's wages and given to the poor. Let me pause to make this remark to you. Now listen closely. If you start living at the feet of Jesus, expect to be criticized. Just expect it. Expect to be misunderstood. Mary lived at the feet of Jesus. Her sister misunderstood her. In John chapter 11, some of the people misunderstood her. When she went up to go out to meet Jesus, the people said, Oh, she's going to the tomb and she's going to, she's going to worship there. She's going to mourn there. She wasn't. She was going out to meet Jesus. Even the disciples criticized her. Jesus defended her. Jesus said, uh, She's done a beautiful thing for me. And Mark 14.9 says this, This that she has done shall be told throughout the whole world. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine doing something in your own home that has a blessing to the ends of the earth? There are people in this congregation right now who daily spend time with the Lord. And they're maybe criticized for it, misunderstood because of it. But I want you to know that they are reaching out and touching the ends of the earth. There are missionaries supported by Moody Church whose lives are being blessed because we have people here like Mary who spend time at the feet of Jesus. And so the first reason we ought to do it is because of what it means to us. Enrichment, enablement. The second reason is because of what it means to others, to those who live with us, that small circle, to our unsaved friends who need us, and out to the vast reaches of the world. Never does a person have more power, more potential, more value than when he's at the feet of Jesus. One of the things that I have learned about life and ministry, and in particular myself, is that we often make the thing that we are given by God a greater priority than God himself. It's easy to make much of the gifts that God has given to us, as opposed to appreciating and loving the giver. This is actually a theme that we'll see quite a bit here in Luke, and it's coming up with the story of Jesus healing the ten lepers. Only one returned to him and gave thanks. That demonstrates as well this story that it's easy for us to appreciate what we get from God as opposed to appreciating God himself. And in this story, Mary truly understood how to appreciate God. It's very easy for us to measure our good works as the thing that is most important, too, in our relationship. And in fact, uh, a good friend of mine shared this story recently as we were talking about it in our uh, Bible study. 
He said, it's like going up to the white mountains and appreciating the beauty and the glory of all that God has created. I, I actually really enjoy going up to the white mountains. It's kind of my sanctuary away, home away from home. I love to go camping and hiking in all of the seasons. For those of you who live up in New Hampshire, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have a treasure in your backyard. I, I love nature and it's such a great way to appreciate what God has done. But he said it's like going up to the White Mountains and appreciating all of that and coming home and when someone asks you, what was your trip like? And, and you respond as, well, I kept the speed limit. I didn't speed once. I didn't litter. I didn't break any of the rules. And, you know, I set up my tent. I took down my tent. And describing it and all of the things that we've done as opposed to really understanding the reason we went and to appreciate nature, to appreciate God's creation. You wouldn't do that, would you? But yet, we often do that when we talk about our faith. And I know I use this illustration. At this point, it's dead and over. But I talk about the prime rib sandwich, which I've given up for a while in this season leading up to our Resurrection Sunday. But I will pick it back up again. Don't you rest assured, I will be enjoying that uh, come April. Uh, but in the process of, of looking at this, it's easy for us to appreciate uh, the sandwich and to appreciate the thing that we're enjoying as opposed to the one who has given us those things. When we give thanks and we pray, give us this day our daily bread and give thanks for our food, it gives us a reminder that we need to worship the, the one who is the giver of all good things and not just the things he has given us. I know that God has uh, given you to us as listeners and us to you as a program that you have been benefiting from, but it's very important for, the, for us to keep things in perspective. The most important thing in all of this is our relationship with Christ. And the love that we have for each other is really a reflection of Christ's love for us and our love for him. So if I can encourage you in any way, I hope that we have been able to be a blessing to you and that you can be a blessing in return. Write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. But don't forget to tune in again tomorrow as the late great Dr. Warren Wiersbe uses this text to explain to us why it's so important for us to start each and every day with time with Jesus. The most important part of your life is the part that only God sees, that private time when you're alone with the Lord. Now, if you have been neglecting that time, get back to it. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse. Hear the words of Jesus from Luke 14:11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted.